Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. My name is Adam and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? You okay? Yeah, doing better these days. Um, For the first time in quite a while, I'm feeling a sense of cautious optimism. It's been a terrible year, but yeah, for the first time in a while now, I'm starting to feel a sense of optimism about the future. And I hope those of you that are listening out there feel the same. Well, it's good to hear that you're feeling better. Um, it's not been the best start of the year for a lot of people, myself included in some ways, but the best way to go about it is to try and keep a positive attitude as you can and just keep moving forward. Eventually, better times will be ahead and we'll be able to enjoy it and embrace them together. But of course, guys, just a quick shameless plug. If you haven't already seen last week's episode of the DNF1 podcast, we did a 2021 predictions video podcast which you can also listen to on um, podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. We did that with a Girl Talks F1 Menena. Really really fun episode. Really really enjoyed recording with Menena. We'll definitely have to have her on in the future Um, but also don't forget to check out her channel and of course I've left the link in descriptions in that video but just a shameless plug. Check that out if you haven't already and let us know what you think. If you agree of our opinions or if you feel that perhaps we're a bit off the mark with some of them feel free to let us know and of course don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel because we've got much more great content coming this year it's going to be a big year for us and we want you guys to join us along for this journey but speaking of journeys Courtney one driver who we still do not know or at least have confirmation of what his 2021 is going to look like and that is Lewis Hamilton now of course we've spoken about Lewis's contract situation we didn't think when we first recorded uh, a video on Lewis Hamilton's contract situation a few a while back that we'd be here in February a month away from testing now and yet Lewis has still not signed the contract as far as we are aware and interestingly enough Courtney 
we thought that it was going to be a matter of time. Total Wolf has spoken very positively about it. Lewis has not really come out and said there have been any issues. And sometimes silence can be either golden in these things because it means that nothing is going wrong or there aren't any obstacles. But then equally, silence can also pr- uh, suggest that there might be problems or that everything is not going ahead as swimmingly as possible. So to add fuel to this fire, and this is not from me personally, I'll quote my source straight away. Um, interestingly enough, Damon Hill, the 1996 Formula One world champion on his Twitter. So you can show, you can tell my sources are absolutely foolproof. I've gone really deep with this one, but um, Damon Hill on his Twitter said, rumor is that Lewis is on the verge of signing a two year deal with Mercedes with a veto on his teammate. Now, Damon goes on to say, I'd do the same if I were Lewis. Actually, I probably have no teammate at all. Fair enough. Um, but that's very interesting, Corny, because the word veto, for those of you who aren't sure what that means, ultimately it means that whichever driver Mercedes wants to put in their car alongside Lewis, Lewis has the final say on whether or not he agrees with that. So in hypothetically speaking, if Max Verstappen was put in that car alongside Lewis and Lewis was not happy about driving with Max, he could have the power to say to Mercedes, no, you can't have him in your car. Now, I'm just throwing Max out there as an example, but Courtney, let's assume that there is a lot of truth to what Damon has said. I think the two-year part sounds very, very logical, given mm-hmm. what Mercedes will want to do long-term. Lewis obviously wanted a longer-term deal. Um, we're not going to mention the money because that's not relevant at this time. Um, we talked about that before, but what do you make of the two-year deal and also the power of veto? Is that something that surprises you? to hear that Lewis has requested that, assuming that that is true? The length of the contract itself is ideal. I reckon Lewis will obviously want to get that eighth championship this season and looking towards new regulations. I think he'll want to give that a go, see how that goes. Because I think one of the problems for the other teams competing with Mercedes is that there have been so many regulation changes during their dominance it's been a new challenge for these guys, including Lewis. So it's kept them intrigued and wanting to improve and innovate. So I think he'll want to stay at Mercedes to see how competitive they are and then assess his options from that point onwards. So I think in that sense, that's ideal. When it comes to the veto, if this is true, I, I think the Formula One community is going to go crazy. I think, as we've already seen, even in our own... Um, in our own comment sections, whenever we discuss Lewis Hamilton, there's always a massive reaction for those who either support him or support other guys. He just seems to divide opinions so much to the point where it seems that you can't talk about Lewis without annoying somebody. And this is certainly going to happen. You're going to have a lot of people attacking Lewis because there's been a growing sentiment. I've noticed it since the care. There's been a growing sentiment that George Russell should be the next big guy at Mercedes. And if Lewis has asked for this veto, it is the Formula 1 community is going to go crazy. So Lewis, Lewis obviously isn't that good because he thinks George Russell is going to, you know, take over his spot. He feels threatened by him. Now, there could be an element of truth to that, given that, you know, George is coming up. Lewis will have noticed the attention that George is getting. But... I think it's worth also noting that there are other drivers that are interested in that Mercedes seat. It is the place to be. So I wonder if Lewis is also considering other drivers, such as Max Verstappen. I think Max Verstappen's made it clear he'd love to drive for Mercedes one day. 
And then even Sebastian Vettel, it wouldn't surprise me, Sebastian Vettel is using his time Aston Martin as a stepping block, get his confidence back, put himself back in the limelight and hopefully go for a Mercedes seat in 2022. So, yeah, maybe Lewis is a little bit wary of George Russell, but I don't think it's only George. I think he's looking at other drivers as well. It's totally not uncommon uh, for vetoes to be included in a contract for a driver of that calibre. I mean, I I always think back to 2013 when Fernando Alonso had a veto power in his contract and he, you know, so it was it was believed that he was the main reason why Ferrari did not sign Nico Hülkenberg. Uh, to be his teammate back then um, instead of Kimi Raikkonen. Fernando felt that Nico at the time was an up-and-coming young driver who very much impressed Ferrari uh, to the point where they wanted to offer him a seat. I mean, there were a few drivers linked with that Ferrari seat for years. I remember Robert Kubica, of course, um, before he went to Lotus, was offered... Uh, sorry, when he was at the um, Renault Lotus, if you like, when he, when he was offered that Ferrari contract at the time. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things that I've not been surprised to see. Um, again, this is assuming that this is whether or not this is true. Going to Lewis Hamilton, I'm not surprised if that was something he wanted to put in his contract. If I think if I was in this position, you kind of got to look at it as Mercedes right now have dominated the last seven years. Um, and one of those years in particular, Lewis Hamilton had a teammate in Nico Rosberg who caused all sorts of frictions equally as much as Lewis did. You know, it was a two way street, wasn't all Nico, but to the point where Nico was able to do enough with a, bit of, with a bit of good fortune, of course, to win a world championship. Mercedes did not enjoy that situation. But back then, Lewis, obviously, that was four or five years ago. You know, so Lewis had a long-term future at Mercedes to look forward to. As so did Nico, of course, until he decided to cut it short and retire after he won a world championship. The situation is different now. Lewis has got one more contract left in him, as far as he's concerned. Um, and he wants to be in a position where he can has as much control and as much say as possible, not only to protect his own interests, but in his mind to protect the interests of the team, because, of course, the competition is going to be wrapping up more and more and more, especially in 2022. So in Lewis's mind, the best way to achieve that harmonious working relationship, which, of course, brings in results as Mercedes have enjoyed over the last seven years, is to have the power of who is his teammate. And I think... A lot of people have already said this, and I'm complete agreement. I think the ideal situation for Lewis Hamilton would be to have, if it's a two-year deal offered to him, I think he wants a three-year one, to have Valtteri Bottas in that second seat alongside him. Purely and simply because as good as Valtteri is, and despite the jokes and the memes and everything else everyone has been saying, I still rate Valtteri very, very highly. um, And I think you won't see that until he's at a different team. It's that they get on very well together. Valtteri is very much a good number two driver, the perfect wingman, if you like, as Total Wolf once quoted a few years back. And you know, Valtteri's not one of those drivers that even when he says in press conferences, I've got a plan to beat Lewis, so I'm going to do this, so I'm going to do that. It never comes to fruition. As a number one driver, when you've got your teammate in your back pocket like that, and it's a relationship that works in a positive way for the team, there's absolutely no reason why you would want to change that. And in George Russell... You know, as great a talent as he is and as nice a guy as he is from what we see, I don't believe for a second George Russell is going to go to Mercedes after working as hard as he has and as impressed as much as he has, especially in Sakir, to play second fiddle to Lewis and wait for him to retire. If I was George in that position, 
I would want to take the mantle from Lewis as soon as I get in that Mercedes and want to show him that I am the future of this team. So I can totally understand why Lewis feels this way. The fans might not think it popular, and I'm sure Lewis Hamilton, um, I was going to say haters, um, those that aren't fans of Lewis will probably look at this and think, ah, Lewis doesn't want a young gun trying to steal his seat. Or as you mentioned, Corny, and Max Verstappen. Um, As far as Max is concerned, I feel that this is why Mercedes are offering Lewis a two-year deal rather than a three-year deal. Again, this is assuming that these rumours are accurate. And it's because Max has a contract up until 2023. That takes us to that two-year period from now. So it makes no sense for Mercedes, even if Max is available right now, to put him in that car um, alongside Lewis Hamilton. I just think the working relationship will just be impossible to manage. I mean, if you think Rosberg Hamilton was fiery, this is like Krakatoa by comparison. It's mental. That would be stellar post levels, wouldn't it? I would absolutely love to see it. Everybody would. It would be box office. Yeah, it'd be be the equivalent. Get to the levels of Alonso Hamilton. Only this time, Hamilton will be much more guarded and much more experienced and on the other side, whereas you've got the young, hungry champion in waiting with all the talent in the world to back that up. We can all agree on that. It's going to be very hard for Mercedes, almost impossible for them to manage. And we've said this countless times already. So I'm not surprised about this. It's not a new thing. Um, I mean... (laughs) If, if it was true, Courtney, would you want Mercedes to cave into those demands and give Lewis that? Or would you rather them say, look, here's the two-year deal. Take it or leave it. We want George Russell in that car for 2022 and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, I think a lot of it depends on how confident Mercedes are about their package. You know, if it's always easy to look back in the past with some kind of, you know, hindsight. But... If Mercedes were going into a season like 2020, for example, where they were so dominant, I don't think there'd be any harm into bringing a younger driver like George Russell, who's already proven to be a competent driver, mm-hmm. who would be giving Mercedes a long-term project. And with his experience working alongside somebody like Lewis, he could help the team sort of stay on a high level for many years to come. So I think if Mercedes were dominant, that would be an ideal situation. I think the British fans would love it. I think the younger generation of fans would become fans of Mercedes who previously weren't because they want their younger drivers to come from influence Formula One. But as you've already stated, I think we're going into an era, going into next season to an extent. I think Red Bull, as you said, are going to be a lot closer. And particularly in 2022, where we could have pretty much an even playing field. I think the bigger teams are going to be wanting to have a number one driver and a very competent number two driver. I, I can see it already with uh, Ferrari. I don't know how happy Carlos Sainz will be about this, but I think they do plan to have Leclerc as number one and Sainz number two. And at Red Bull, Max is number one and Perez number two. It doesn't always work out that way, but the big teams do want to have that dynamic because... As we've sometimes seen in the past, particularly in 2007, if you have two top-class drivers who both won that championship, they're taking points away from each other. And then, uh, well, your proverbial uh, Kimi Raikkonen comes along and steals the championship. So I think you're right. I think, given the circumstances, they will want to be sticking with Lewis and Bottas. Mm, absolutely. And and it's you've hit the nail on the head there in having a good number one and number two, because Mercedes minds the number one goal for them as a team and for every single team in Formula One is to win the Constructors' Championship. They don't care 
which one of their drivers wins it. Of course, they have a preference and they will back the better horse. And in this case, it's going to be Lewis. That makes logical sense. Um, as much as Toto claims to give both drivers an equal playing field, and I believe that they do up to a point, but if you're really going to back your best horse, it's always going to be Lewis in this situation. And in most cases, it's going to be Lewis. Um, it's funny you mentioned Ferrari because Mercedes have to look to their future. This is why I don't feel they want to give Lewis a really long-term contract. Not because I don't think that he can wait, race for three years and be successful. I absolutely believe he can. Um, I mean, if Lewis can't, then who can? I mean, it, it's funny. If Lewis hypothetically was to accept a three-year deal, he would still be younger than what Michael Schumacher was when he returned to Formula One in 2012. So, and Fernando Alonso is at that age right now. So you could argue that Lewis would still be at some point or some degree, the peak of his power is like 90, 95% of what he is right now. That's still an incredibly good Formula One driver, but nobody is safe in Formula One in this regard. You know, time catches up to everybody, even Lewis Hamilton. It happened to Schumacher. Look at Ferrari back in 2006. Raikkonen was available. Schumacher wanted to stay, but Ferrari said, no, we can't. We, You know, as brilliant as you are and as great as you are, we have to think to the future. And they went with Kimi. That's why Schumacher left when he did. You know, he didn't want to leave in, 2000, in 2007. Um, and that's why ultimately he almost came back in 2009 after Massa had his accident, if you remember then in, in Hungary. Um interesting story probably something I, I i do want to share because this is actually quite interesting uh, talking about number twos um talking about schumacher as well corner this is something that probably belongs on a retro podcast but i will indulge you guys for a few minutes on this one if you let me um actually it's our podcast i'm going to do it anyway but um back in 1995 uh towards the end of the season ferrari had signed michael schumacher ron dennis was kind of the whole bravado thing when he signed david Coulthard, and basically was saying we're controlling the driver market with the exception of schumacher everyone else wants to go to mclaren and of course he claimed he nearly signed schumacher for mclaren so that would have been interesting um you know one time they did have a schumacher crash helmet in a mclaren but that was when Coulthard borrowed it off of him back in monaco in uh, 1996 or 95 i believe it was one of the years i can't remember which one it was but anyway back when ferrari wanted to sign a number two in 96 to partner schumacher ferrari's aim was to give schumacher all the support and resources possible you know the outright number one and they want they looked at a few drivers but in particular one of the drivers in the running was eddie irvine which eventually he would sign for them eddie jordan was his manager at jordan of course it made it made sense and eddie jordan was very very clever at being able to negotiate a deal to get eddie irvine in the ferrari and get a lot of money to the jordan team because originally ferrari were not willing to accept his demands and what he did was basically put forward a rumor saying that ligier uh, another team of Form 1 that become Prost. I think Olivier Panis won their last race in Monaco 1996, I believe it was. I think it was like the free car finish. Um, basically, he said to Ferrari, that, and Ferrari was sponsored by a cigarette company, of course, and one of the major ones at the time. We're not going to mention them on this podcast. Um, he basically said that this cigarette company needed to tap into the UK market via Eddie Irvine, an Irish driver, of course, um, you know, that way in. And... Basically, he said that Irvine was linked to go to Ligier, who was also sponsored by another major cigarette brand who wanted to get into the UK market as well. So being able to add that little carrot in or, you know, dangle that carrot in Ferrari's face, they ended up paying more money to bring in a driver that they weren't overly keen on in terms of reliability because um, Eddie Irvine was a character for anyone who remembered him outside of Formula One. It was an absolute brilliant character. 
exactly but a good driver yeah. nonetheless of course runner up in 99 um to Mika Hakkinen that season but um this was basically you know the story of that Irvine ended up in the Ferrari and what culminated, what ended up was Schumacher having many teammates that were good drivers, Irvine, Barrichello, Massa, but never on the level to really test uh-huh. him and challenge him to the point where Ferrari would have a divisive team fighting for a world championship. It was always to support Schumacher. And Ferrari did this better than anyone. They still do to a degree. I wouldn't be surprised. Well, you also if, yeah. saw it. Hmm. We also saw a Red Bull when uh, Vettel dominated. Weber was a good driver, but he wasn't to Seb's level. We saw them have a few tangles. You know, obviously Weber did deep down want to go for that championship, but Red Bull knew deep down yeah. that Sebastian Vettel was their man. And it, you know, and I, I think a lot of teams learned from Senna and Prost. I think after McLaren went through that experience, I think all the other teams thought we're not going to go with that with that kind of lineup anymore because it just causes issues. Mm. No, you're absolutely right. Um, but bringing it back to Lewis Hamilton, of course, we should before we move on. Do I'm going to ask you this now. If the two-year deal was offered to Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes said, no, you're not having the power of veto, do you think Lewis will sign it or do you think Lewis will leave and just think, forget it, I'm going? Um, deep down, I think he'll stay in Formula 1. I mean, I think it'd be a, a silly reason to bow out the sport, given everything he's achieved. Why not stay for another couple of seasons? Mm, absolutely, and see yeah. What you can, what you can see. And, and also, I think he's getting to a point in the career where he needs to be where he already is, where he's doing work for social ju- justice and stuff like that. I think he's thinking about what kind of legacy he wants to leave behind. And I'm thinking if he was to bow out of Formula One in those terms, I think it'd leave a negative legacy. So I can't see that happening. No, absolutely. And with the eighth world championship now within striking distance, which will make him, if he isn't already outright, the greatest or most successful Formula One driver of all time. And technically he already is, but that eighth world championship... It will be. It will mean so much if he's able to achieve that before he retires. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I, I, we spoke about this before. We got a lot of reaction from some people who agreed with us, some people who weren't, because they felt that Lewis was an incredible asset that Mercedes couldn't um, turn away. And we agree, Lewis is that asset. He's the top asset in Formula One. But like all great assets, you have to assess their time frame and how good they are long term. You never make a short term investment if you can avoid it. And in Lewis's case, if this was the contract before this one that he'd signed a few years back, yes, he has all the power in the world to, of veto and everything else because there's longevity to Lewis's career mm-hmm. and the Mercedes project. Now we're at the phase that Mercedes are the top dogs in Formula One by a country mile. Of course, that is subject that could change in 2022. They need to plan for their future. And Lewis is not going to give him as many years as they would like, or if Lewis was five years younger. In the best car, Lewis has no other options. There's no other team. Even if a team wanted to take Lewis, there's no spots available. So, And they have the best car for the time being, as far as we're aware. So Lewis is in that unfortunate position that no matter how good he is, you know, and this, you know, we're talking about the top driver in F1 at the moment there's no other option for him other than to leave. And if he does leave, yes, it will be bad for Mercedes, but they'll just promote the next superstar rookie in line, like George Russell, for example, who has already demonstrated with very little time in that Mercedes that he's capable of taking over. He won't be as spectacular as Lewis. That's a huge bar to reach, but it could still be good enough for Mercedes to win constructors and drivers championships. And for them, that's enough. They don't have to win it by... Uh, four or five races before the end of the season as long as they win it by the end of the season that's all that's going to matter 
But of course, that's what we think, guys. Let us know what you think. Do you think Lewis Hamilton's contract demands, assuming that those are the correct contract demands, are fair? And if you feel that Mercedes will not offer him that, do you think he should sign to the terms Mercedes give him? What do you think of the veto term as well? Let us know what you think about that as well. But let's move right along, Courtney, because we're about 20 minutes or so into this episode. Other news that's been going on this week, interestingly enough, around Roman Grosjean. And it's good news. Um, Roman Grosjean has confirmed on his own Twitch stream, uh, for those of you that hadn't seen it, that he is going to be joining the Dale Coyne team in IndyCar next season. So first things first, Corny, that is incredible news to Mm -hmm. hear that Roman is doing well, of course, had that huge, horrible accident in Bahrain where a lot of us feared for his life at the time. Thankfully, he he escaped with nothing more than the shock and some burns and, you know, otherwise he's okay. But it's fantastic news to see that Roman is is already planning his future very, very quickly uh, after his Formula One. This is very much um, a good news story. Um, you know, the fact that he's come from such a negative, a life-threatening situation, a traumatic situation, and the exposure that he's got has sort of helped, has sort of in a strange way, helped pave him a, a future in motorsport. Because it's very easy for a driver to leave Formula One and just sort of go into the abyss. He's unknown, doesn't really achieve anything afterwards. So I'm really pleased that a positive has come from a negative. And, you know, and I'm sure he'll be having a lot of supporters when he, uh, when he competes next season. Absolutely. Um, you, know, you know, for someone like Roman, after what he had been through, it was such a shame that his Formula One career had to end in that way. But when you look back, of course, it's better for it to end in that fashion than for him to lose so much more than just an F1 career. Um, You know, there was always talk about Mercedes, uh, Total Wolf offering him an opportunity to drive the Mercedes W11 uh, as a proper send off when he's recovered fully from it. Roman himself on the Twitch stream said he'd love to do that. Uh, We'll certainly take them up on that offer as and when he feels a lot better, can definitely do it. Of course, it's going to be a busy year for Mercedes. I don't think Roman's going to be pestering them too much to drive that car. That will probably come this perhaps uh, the end of 2021. We'll have to wait and see on that one. But just to talk a little bit about his IndyCar move, for those of you that don't know the finer details, the Dale Coyne team, they're a good team. And forgive me if there are any hardcore Indy fans that, you know, I'm not doing it justice. Um, I, I watch indie racing every so often. It's not exactly a series I'm massively invested in, but I always enjoy the Indy 500, as you do. Uh, big event, that is. But um, the Dell Coin team, they're a bit of a smaller outfit than most of the bigger teams. I mean, you've got the top three teams like the Andretti team, the Penske, the Ganassi team. Those guys tend to dominate IndyCar racing in the same way Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari do. It's kind of a similar trio, if you like. Um with the exception of last season, of course, for Ferrari. But um, it's going to be very, very hard for Roman uh, to get up to speed. Of course, some guys have already been doing testing already from last season and early this year. And Roman will have to get up to speed if he's going to perform well. He could achieve a podium or two. But as I mentioned, those three teams before, they all run four cars each. So that's going to be very difficult for Roman. Uh, He's going to have to beat 12 other drivers in superior machinery. Of course, it's a single chassis series. So it's mostly the engines that are the definitive factor. But um, it'll be fun to see Roman driving it. Um, One big interesting part of that agreement, I should mention, um, Roman had agreed before Bahrain to race in IndyCar for Dale Coyne. But um, owing to his big crash, that's been revised a little bit. So it's a 15 race Canada. You've got the Indy 500 as one of the oval races. You've got 
uh, I think it's two oval races in Texas and a gateway oval race. Roman's not going to be racing in the oval circuits this season. He's only going to be racing the 11 street or road circuits that they have on the calendar. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of this is because of the very the, the very very dangerous nature of the oval circuits yeah. I mean, you know for anyone who's seen the indy 500 in particular the biggest oval race in the world and one of the big free races in the motorsport calendar along with the monaco grand prix and f1 and of course le mans series in the world endurance championship but um at indy at indianapolis of course f1 race there uh, um you know going back in time there i'm not going to go too far back but um some of the cars can do up to 230 miles an hour plus at top speed in qualifying and you know anyone who's seen the crashes and the accidents it is incredibly scary when even someone has a tap on the wall traveling at that speed you know anything can happen and more often than not it usually does unfortunately and as much as the IndyCar series have done to improve safety protocols I can totally understand why Roman would want to abstain from racing it's um for now at least um I mean if he wanted to race Indy he'd have to participate in a test coming up very very soon and looking at his injuries I don't know if you've seen Courtney on his left hand he's still got those burns on his hand it's very pinky yeah, I've seen them. very you know very very stiff yeah. skin at the moment he is in no fit condition to race I mean I'm not an expert on health and uh, I'm not a medical expert in any way but even I wouldn't deem him fit and ready to drive one of those cars around the circuit right now. Yeah. And even from a mental perspective, you know, if you've gone through a, a, a traumatic, traumatic experience where you feel like you're going to die, I don't blame him for not wanting to go, you know, take part on the kind of tracks where the laws of physics suggest, as you said, if you make the slightest contact with either an, another driver or a wall, I've, I've seen the footage. They, they just go, they just mm. spin crazy. Yeah, and then obviously they get hit by other cars in it, and obviously a lot of time the cars go up in flames. I think it's even not just from a physical perspective, but from a mental um, point of view as well. It's way too soon for him to be put in that kind of environment. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised to, to see that he was going to be racing this season. I thought he was going to be fully committed uh, committed to his Twitch channel and do some online racing, which you know is always fun to see. And of course, health and safety is paramount. Um, his wife would have been very reluctant to allow Roman to race in there. And of course, you know, he's got to think of his family and that is the main motivation as to why Roman has adjusted this agreement with Dow coin racing um, to race only on the street circus. And I don't blame him. I personally, I think it's a bit too soon, but Roman knows his body better than anyone else. And he seems to be making great progress. So it's fantastic to see. I will definitely be keeping an eye on Roman's progress. I hope he does really, really well. He's a very talented driver. You know, to give some sort of perspective on these indie cars. Again, if you are a hardcore indie fan and I'm not doing it justice, I apologise. But this is going to be kind of similar to what Roman was used to when he drove in the uh, 2011 GP2 Championship, um, which he was very successful in, of course, before he went into Formula One. So it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, Being a rookie, technically by definition, I don't know how you're going to justify a driver with over 100 Grand Prix experience at the highest level of motorsport being considered a rookie but it's certainly going to be fun to to see how he gets on as well so we wish him the very very best of luck indeed um moving on to the next point uh some other news as well Courtney uh we should mention that's come out today that's going to affect F1 gaming so uh for a while now Codemasters have been talking about potentially uh selling up or being bought out by uh, Electronic Arts EA Sports of course um EA Sports have made Many popular games in sports, uh, mostly FIFA. They'll probably be recognized for, if if you asked anyone about EA, um, some American sports like uh, NFL games like Madden, for example. 
They've also dabbled in Formula One games in the past, in the early 2000s. Um, I think my favourite EA Sports F1 game was F1 Career 99 to 2002. That was always the one. If you haven't played it, um, this was on the PlayStation 2. And this was one of those games where it was the original career mode. You basically got to make up your own driver. You drive, you do a test in a, you know, a stock car, if you like. Um, and you basically join a team. I always joined Williams back then because Williams was still one of the top teams. And then you just work your way up to the front. And But the coolest feature of those is because it featured over a four-year season, the cars changed year on year in line with how they look. Of course, they were very blocky because it was early graphics and the poly graphics weren't fantastic as they are now on, on a PS5, for example. But um, it was still really, really cool game to play. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see um, what EA are going to do with this one. It's a $1.2 billion takeover which uh codemasters have now announced that they're going to accept and it's going to come in the form of codex games limited that are going to be taking control so i have no idea how this is going to turn out i imagine it's going to be very exciting for f1 fans i don't know if uh, how much ea are going to change on the f1 game will they will they bring us something like an ultimate team series for f1 i don't know um put some ideas you know, in well, the hopefully not. Yeah, hopefully not too much, though, because I think the last few seasons, well, last few years, I think Codemasters have done a really good job with the uh, Formula One game. And mm, I'd say in the past couple seasons, you, you can actually feel like you're part of like an F1 experience. So I'm hoping that EA, will we say, you know, you said they're sort of it's EA, but it's someone else. Hopefully, whoever takes over. They do keep the good points, the good stuff that Codemasters have done because look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Absolutely, yeah. No, they have done a great job, Codemasters, it must be said. Um, I mean, people that have played the online uh, F120, well, F1 series have played online, will have their fair share of funny glitches to share and complaints, as everybody always does with online gaming. That's just the nature of the beast. But they have done a very good job, Codemasters, and they've taken the F1 games to a new level of immersion that it's hard to say it could be rivaled amongst other racing games of its type or of its kind. It's really good stuff. So um, yeah, I'd be looking forward to see what they've got in store for us. And um, let us know guys, what gaming features you'd like EA to include in Formula One games in the future or ones that you think that they will put in. I've already mentioned Ultimate Team, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what EA have in store for the F1 series going forward. Um, so looking through the list i mean that was mostly the news that we're covering of course coming up very very soon guys we should probably take this opportunity to announce that we are going to be doing special episodes where we're going to be talking about the car launches as and when they happen of course we'll be reviewing each and every car if there are multiple cars on separate days then we'll review both of them on the same episode but so we're going to be doing a lot more podcast episodes to talk about the car launches we did them all in one big bunch i believe um this time last year believe it or not when we started I'm trying to think. I think we're pretty much at almost at our one year anniversary, Courtney. We'll have to check the date when we put our first Oof. podcast episode, but I think you're already there now. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't have anything planned for the one year thing. So, uh, we'll have to come up with something, guys. But, yes, yeah, amazing stuff. Live stream, live stream, <laughs> live stream. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Well, we'll put it out to the viewers. Um, if this video gets 50 likes, I think that's a reasonable target for us. We'll do a live stream. <laughs> um so uh, yeah we have to we have to set the bar somewhat high guys you know give us 50 likes and we'll do a live stream um uh, for a future episode to commemorate our one year anniversary and hopefully many more years of this podcast 
to come. But yeah, as to say, of course, we've got the F1 launches. I'm just checking the dates on my phone just to make sure, because I think only four teams have confirmed as far as we're mm. aware. Um, the first of which, of course, McLaren on the 15th of February. So that's going to be very, very soon. Obviously, teasing photos of Daniel Ricciardo in the McLaren earlier today. Courtney, I don't know if you saw that. On I saw that. Yeah, I saw the video as well. It's such a good McLaren fit. unboxed. Yes, yeah, it's such a good fit, Daniel in the McLaren. It just something just looks really right. And Daniel in the McLaren, it looks really good. I'm really looking forward to see how he's going to do. I'm expecting big things from him this season. It's a really good move, and I'm glad to see he's in a good car next year. Not that the Renault car wasn't good, but of course, a large part of their success was down to his performances last season. Uh, Alva Tauri today announced that they're going to be unveiling their car on the 19th of February. Alfa Romeo on the 22nd, that'll be the week after. And Last but certainly not least, Mercedes on the 2nd of March. So that's going to be the one that probably everyone will be looking forward to as often the Mercedes one. Uh, Ferrari have already said they're not going to be unveiling the car until testing. They might do a livery launch. I don't know. I'm expecting everybody to be doing livery launches rather than unveiling their actual car. I'd be very surprised if McLaren had their 2021 car ready on the 15th of February when testing's not for a month after that. Um, given how tight the deadlines can be. So it's mostly going to be livery launches. So don't be surprised if most of the podcast episodes are going to be us um, oogling over who has the best livery. Last year it was Alpha Tauri until Mercedes come in with the all black livery, which was incredible. So I'm not sure I'm going to be able to contain myself if um, Alpha Tauri <laughs> managed to top last year's Mercedes livery. Last year I was almost in uncontrollable at that point but uh yeah very much looking forward to that i don't know about you what do you think courtney who's who's live whose car or should i say livery are you looking forward to seeing the most uh in in the coming weeks and do you think there will be a team that will go different to what they've already done in the past well we know mercedes are going to go with the uh the black color car again in 2021 mm-hmm. um so i think that's already they've already set the bar there and so they um, should yeah I've, I think I think it'd be interesting to see how um, McLaren changed, seeing as they're going to a Mercedes engine. I hope they keep the um, papaya. But like, I think the papaya and blue, complementary colours. I think they should keep with that colour scheme. But they might make a couple of subtle changes given the engine change, like they have done in the past. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think Alpha Tauri. I think they need to stick with that with that colour scheme they have because you're right. That was probably the second best looking car. On the grid, I think Red Red Bull. I think that they should go with their testing concepts that they always uh, get rid of come the uh, start of the season. But I hate it when they people do just that. need to. <laughs> they need really to keep the, the fans need to bang on. The, the the fans need to be in their case about that. It really pees me off when they do that because. Their testing liveries look amazing. I mean, not so, I mean, they had the camo one before, but then they had like the blue and black grey camo concept, which looks fantastic. It looked like a Call of Duty weapon skin. Um, for those of you that play that, it looks so good. And then the Mate paint. And then they said, ah, it's just a test. It's not even a testing livery. They didn't even run it in testing. I was like, you teases. And then they had the one they had the other year where they had the, um, like the normal colour scheme, but instead of the yellow, they just had like loads of red bits in it. That looks so good. I really wish Red Bull, I know for branding and marketing and everything else, all the boring stuff that they decide, no, we can't do that. But guys, I mean, give the people what they want. I mean, this one way to get more fans on board, do that. Um, Maybe Ferrari will have a red livery this year. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? But uh, no, Ferraris always look good every single year. It's funny because they're the team that make the, the fewest or the most subtle changes, hardly any at all. And yet they still look fantastic. 
it's never the best livery, but it's always one of them. I know Ferrari could do things to make it look fantastic, but they will never go down that route. Um, it, you know, it, it's the nationalism of the Italian uh, Tifosi, of exactly. course, which we love. We know and love with Ferrari. They'll never change that. But, um, you know, you can always be daring and adventurous, especially coming into 2022 to go with that radical theme. You know, why not try something bold and daring? You know, but what do I know? I'm not an artist or a designer anyway, but... Um, uh, whose livery am I looking forward to seeing next season? Um, I'm going to say Williams. I'm wondering what Williams are going to do for their livery. They've been because, a bit bland lately, haven't they? Well, they, that's because they usually paint their cars in in uh, the way that in the same design concept of a, of a toothpaste brand. Before it was last year, it was Colgate when it was well, not last season. It was Colgate the season before with Rocket, and then they changed it, and it looked like a tube of Sensodyne toothpaste as well, like the white and blue, which is fine. But I really miss the old yellow and blue Williams liveries, which in fairness was owing largely to a cigarette brand. Same with McLaren, as you mentioned, with the old black and white and red that looked really, really cool. And the white and red before that, um, it always seemed that cigarette brands have such an influence on design liveries on cars. These uh, Well, in the past that they did. I'm, I'm surprised teams don't decide to revert back to that. But uh, one could dream, I suppose. Have the livery just no cigarette branding that's the perfect solution between the two um courtney before we wrap this up uh you had a mm -hmm. few questions we put out a q a to you guys on instagram yeah. um of course we've got the handles on there don't forget to follow those as well um you had a few questions that some of our followers wanted to ask us on this episode so yeah um first question comes from uh the will to will podcast um they asked how many drivers do you think will win in 2021 Mm, that's a good question um well first things first guys if you haven't heard of wheel to wheel podcast very very good podcast um from across the pond i believe if i'm not wrong i think i can't remember if it's us or canada forgive me guys and knowing my like i say that and they probably say no we're local like you guys so he shows what i know but no these guys are really really good and uh, definitely check them out if you haven't already um and we'll definitely have to do a collab with these guys soon in the future so um if you're listening guys we're interested so reach out to us and we'll sort something out but um how many guys do i think is going to win a race this season uh well let's see lewis if assuming that he signs a deal yes definitely valtteri i think he will get one he usually gets one or two mm -hmm. uh max yeah, absolutely. If I think Max is going to be world champion next season, then yeah, definitely you will get one. Um, and possibly a McLaren as well. So I'm going to say four with Daniel Ricciardo being the fourth one in McLaren. I I want to say Ferrari, will, Leclerc will win one, but I don't know. So I'm going to be cautious and say four. Um, what about you, Courtney? How many do you think is going to win this year? I reckon it could be a couple more added to that list. I think Perez will get a win this season. Um, I think him, yeah. I think we discussed last week about Mexico. Wouldn't that be nice to see? I think I think Perez could be closer to Verstappen than some believe at this point. Um, I think right about the McLaren boys. I think they could get a, a a win if with one of the drivers, if not both, if they have another K-Tech season like we had last season. Um, and Ferrari, Ferrari are such an unknown. I think if Ferrari are within touching distance. I can see the Claire winning one as well. So I'm looking at six drivers. I'm going to change my answer to five because I completely forgot Perez and I do apologise. Um, 
how could I forget Sergio Perez after the amount we've spoken about in the last couple of weeks? But um, yeah, let's go Perez as the fifth driver to win in Mexico in front of his home fans, because I would love to see that. That'd be absolutely fantastic. And it's very plausible that that could happen in a Red Bull, given how strong they've been there in the turbo hybrid era. So yeah, five drivers, I think is a fair amount. Let us know what you guys think as well in the comments, of course. How many drivers do you think are going to win a race in 2021? And let us know which ones, of course, you think are going to do that. So last question comes from George Allen and interesting one. It's a bit of a random one, but interesting nonetheless. Will Gasly win the championship? Now I have two answers to that question. But what, this season? Go ahead. Well, we said the championship. So that's just why I have two answers for this. So if you want to go ahead first, Adam, I'll give mine afterwards. But I'm interested yeah. in what you think. Um, well, I'm assuming he means in his career, not just next season, because mm. if it's next season, I'm going to say hell nah, like, no, it's not going to win it next season. Um, Pierre Gasly, very, very tough one because he's been very impressive in 2020. Uh, I think we saw easily his best year, former GP2 champion. So he knows what it takes to win a championship. Um, really tough one. I'm going to be bold and say, no, I don't think Pierre is quite good enough to win a championship. And I don't know if he'll ever be in a car capable of winning the championship. 2022 is really going to be a huge shakeup for the grid. And that could prove to be one of his best opportunities, which is completely random, finding yourself in the right car. I don't think he's going to be AlphaTauri next season anyway. I think Red Bull are going to want to move him out of that program altogether. So I feel that, as I said last week, if he ends up somewhere like Alpine, they could provide him with the right, with the best opportunity to win a world championship. I think it comes down to not just having the quality of winning a world championship. It comes down to having the right tools underneath you. Mm-hmm. I do not feel that Pierre Gasly will ever have a car in his career in Formula One that will be good enough to win him a world championship. As harsh as it sounds, because he's a young driver with a lot of talent and he's proven that, especially last season. I just don't feel he's going to have the equipment to even put him in the hunt, let alone win one. Um, but I think he might win another race or two. It's possible, but definitely not a world championship, unfortunately. So sorry, George. Um, I know how much you love Pierre Gasly, but no, sorry. I can't say he, I think he will. Uh, what about you, Courtney? So I think for Pierre Gasly to win this year's championship, I think he needs to be a Will Smith, right? He needs to <laughs> tie up Lewis Hamilton, lock him away in a room and steal his Mercedes. I think that's the best chance he has. I think you beat me to the point about his career. I think the only way he could win a championship is, for whatever reason, he moves to Alpine in 2022. And with the big regulation changes, they find a loophole in the regulations and dominate the way Braun did in 2009. That could be a possibility. But yeah, apart from that, I think there are too many exceptional drivers coming through in the next generation. You know, you look at Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, George Russell, Lando Norris. I think Daniel Ricciardo's got another 10 years in him. I think there's a lot of top-class drivers that are going to have more chances of winning the championship. So, yeah, I've got to agree with you on the second point, Adam. Well, if he goes for the Will Smith dialogue, I don't think that's going to cut it with many people. So hopefully he doesn't resort to those kind of tactics. But yeah, I absolutely remember that. That, that was a really funny segment between Will and Lewis Hamilton. And uh, yeah, you know, always enjoy his comedy. But um, I did have one question I, I got from a mm-hmm. follower. Uh, very, very interested. 
um, to put this one forward to you. It was Ferrari fan two four seven. Not sure of their actual name. I apologise. So um, they asked um, regarding Mick Schumacher and Carlos Sainz. Of course, you mentioned their partnership, uh, the partnership with Leclerc and Sainz next season. And a lot of focus has been around Mick Schumacher. And their question was, with Ferrari so focused on working with Mick Schumacher and promoting him up, do you feel that Carlos Sainz has two years to convince Ferrari that he is good enough to stay in that team? Or do you feel that Ferrari will promote Mick Schumacher alongside Charles Leclerc, regardless of what Carlos Sainz does? I think they'll give Carlos a chance, but... I feel a little bit sorry for Carlos because he's gone from a stable team at McLaren that are going places to an environment where he's automatically under pressure because Mick is there. Everyone's aware of that. So he's he's made a big leap. Look, every, every driver wants to race for Ferrari. It's a well-known fact. But he's instantly under pressure. And we've seen what happens at teams like Red Bull and Ferrari when drivers come under pressure. So he's going to have to hit the ground running from the very start. Mm, absolutely agree with that. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Carlos Sainz does, but I do feel that if Mick is able to show enough quality to Ferrari to give him that opportunity, I don't think they'll hesitate to put him in there. It may come down to Haas improving under this technical partnership with Ferrari to a degree where it becomes a very good B team to um, put drivers like uh, Mick Schumacher in there in the same way that Aston Martin and Williams as well are good stepping stones towards the Mercedes seat. Not that Mercedes have promoted any of their junior car drivers into that. I mean, technically Bottas does count to a degree, but it isn't, it isn't. It was more like, you know, the opportunity was there. They had other juniors in the waiting in the wings, like um, Esteban Ocon or Pascal Verlein, and they went with Bottas instead, which made sense at the time. Um, so Ferrari of all this young talent coming through, I think they do need to keep demonstrating as they did with Charles Leclerc, that they've got faith in their young drivers. So, mm. In Carlos's case, if he's able to impress, they may keep him there a bit longer and delay that opportunity for Mick until an opportunity opens up for him to enter Ferrari. I would love to see it, and I'm sure a lot of fans would love to see a Schumacher back in a Ferrari. But I think first and foremost, Mick needs to prove that he's good enough to drive in that car. He's certainly not going to be handed it, but he's done well so far. I can't say that they have, you know, he hasn't delivered on uh, the objectives they've set from so far. But uh, that's what we think on that, guys. Let us know what you think. Um, Do you think? Mick Schumacher is potentially two or three years away from driving in a Ferrari. And what does that leave for Carlos Sainz as well? But until then, guys, of course, thank you very much for tuning in. And of course, make sure to like the video if you enjoyed it. Subscribe to the channel. And as I said before, guys, 50 likes and we'll do a live stream. Maybe 100. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I'll set it at 50 now. 50. (laughs) I should tease and incentivize you lot to give us 100 likes on this video uh, to do a live stream. Because obviously we need to make sure that you guys are going to want to see it. Um, that's a good point that's a good point I'll give you that so it's the last thing I'd want to do is do a live stream and then two people turn up and one of them is my mum hi (laughs) mum but um, no my luck she'd probably say no I'm busy I'm watching something else like they've got you know blue bloods is on or something like that Uh, she loves that but um, I don't blame her to be fair it's got Tom Selleck in it so you know the moustache and everything never going to be able to grow one like Tom so uh, as much as I try but I digress guys of course if you like the video give it a like subscribe to the channel and for those of you that already have thank you so much for helping us so far and it's been a year we really love doing this for you guys and we hope you've enjoyed it too however long you followed us on this series Um, 
But of course, we've got a retro episode coming up too. Um, we haven't forgotten about that series. We are going to be doing another one of those episodes very, very soon. Um, we're not going to reveal which one it is yet, but um, definitely check that out if you enjoyed the previous retro episode we did in Brazil 2008. But until then, guys, thank you very much for tuning in. Stay safe, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.